I want to share with you the, the message today focuses around unplanned. I'm really looking forward to hearing uh, from Kirsten today because, man, I'll tell you what, the senior class of, of, uh, of our current high schools and our young people, this isn't the way that, that those things generally happen. So I'm really looking forward to, to hearing what she has to say about that. But, you know, those of us in the older generations, the boomer generation, the greatest generation that, that was before us, the, the uh, Xer generation, the Gen Xers that are just after us, this has really hit us in some unexpected ways. A lot of the plans that we thought we had made... We're scratching our heads. What do you do? What do you do when you have just retired or you're just thinking about retirement and the stock market goes down by 10,000 points, losing 1,000 points a day sometimes? What are you supposed to do about that? Where, where do your investments go? Those who retired five years ago or eight years ago and, and much of their retirement has been set up in that, all of your plans, what do you do with that? What do you do when your economy seems to be on track? Unemployment is as low as it's been since the 1950s. Everybody that wants a job has a job and now we're talking about unemployment at 25%. What do you do in the GDP of a nation that is the, the leading producer in the world goes down by 25%? What do you do when the plans that you made are blown up? I want to share with you very quickly this morning because we have a real cool segment, a real... A real I think it's an interesting segment that we're going to introduce today, so I want to create some time in what I'm going to do today to, to allow that to happen. But I want to share three stories with you. I'm going to give you a scripture for the last one. The first two, I just want to give you the story of three individuals in scripture surrounding the last days of Jesus when they thought they had their plans in place for what was going to happen and nothing went as planned. The first one that I want to share with is a man by the name of Judas Iscariot. You know him very well. We know him as the betrayer of Jesus. As we look in the scriptures for Judas, I'll point you to him, but we're not going to put him up on the screen for you. I would point you to Matthew, the 27th chapter, if you've got your, your uh, handheld devices or your Bibles right next to you there. I would point you to the 27th chapter of Matthew, and I would point you to that third verse, going about through the 10th verse. But in those, we get the story, at least one of the stories, the one from Matthew, about Judas and he is betraying Jesus. And Jesus has told him he's going to do this. They're sitting at the table and Jesus is going to say things during this last supper. He who dips his hand with me is the one who's going to betray me. And all the disciples are around the table and they're like, is it me, is it me, is it me? What was it that Judas had planned? Well, many people have conjectured, they have thought about, they have wondered what in the world is going on with Judas. And many people, scholars, have said they think what's really happening is that Judas is trying to push the, the, the hand of Jesus. He's trying to make Jesus reveal the, the whole idea of Jewish messiahship, 
which is he's going to really crush Rome. When the Messiah comes, Rome is going to be destroyed. The, the shackles will be thrown off of the Jewish people. And Judas is just essentially helping Jesus make that happen. Whatever the plans are of Judas, in that Matthew 27 verse, we see that his plans didn't go as he thought they were going to. We see in that Matthew 27 section that they have been in the garden already. Judas has kissed his rabbi, Jesus. He has been arrested. And Judas comes back in this Matthew 27 section and he looks at the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He looks at the Jewish council and these are his words. I have sinned. Listen to his admission there. He says, I have sinned. This man is innocent. Now, in any court of law, Jesus should have automatically been freed. Correct? Judas is coming in saying, I've lied. I've sinned. This man isn't this. And the Pharisees and Sadducees say, what's that to us? This is between you and God. They're not even going to hear the repentance of Judas. They're not even going to hear the, the confession of sin, the confession of this isn't what was going on because they're intent on destroying Jesus, which was their plan all along. And so because his plan falls apart, we know what Judas is going to do. He's going to go and he's going to take his own life. And certainly that's one way that we can respond to plans that just don't work. We can check out. We can say, I, I just refuse to participate. So in this time, we could withdraw within ourselves. We could just withdraw from culture, from society, refuse to engage in any meaningful way, your problem, you deal with it. I'll just deal with my own. The second person that I would like to bring up that, that had a real issue in this time was a man by the name of Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate's going to deal with his like this. He, he confronts Jesus and he's asking him all the right questions. Are you this? Because remember, the Pharisees and Sadducees have come up to Jesus and they've said, this man is creating riots in the street. You can't let this happen. Pilate looks at them and he looks at Jesus and he says, I, I find no basis to find this man guilty. And Pilate has lots of plans. I'll release him to you because it's a feast day and I generally release somebody to you. That didn't work. They said, no, we want the criminal Barabbas rather than Jesus. He sends him to Herod. Well, he's yours. You guys judge him. That doesn't work. When everything that you've tried, all your plans have tried, that you've tried have failed, you can do what Pilate did. You, you know that symbolically what he did is he put his hands in a bowl of water and he washed him and he says then I wash my hands of the entire matter one of the things that you can do in our modern terminology 
Not my monkey, not my circus. In other words, you can say, this is of no concern to me. Pilate is fine where he's at. He's got his little kingdom. You can wash your hands of it. I just won't have anything to do with it. The third one that I want to, to, to bring to us is the one that I think actually has something to do with what Christ would have us to do, and that's Simon Peter. And that's the one that we do have a scripture for. So let me share that with you. I think uh, Stephen's going to help us get that up on the screen. Stephen and Matthew, thank you. They're here every Sunday morning, and they're doing this work for us. Stephen and Matthew Rutherford, thank you, guys. Here it is. Simon. Simon, Simon Peter, that's who Jesus is talking to. Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. Now, if this doesn't take us back to the story of Job, I don't know what does. If this doesn't take us back to a time when Satan appears before God and they're having a conversation about a man named Job on the earth and God is going to give Satan permission to essentially sift Job... We have it again here in the New Testament. If you think that went away, if you think Satan isn't active in this world, if you think the presence of evil isn't a part of what we do in life, then, then you're not paying attention to Scripture at least. That for a, a span of, of uh, over a thousand years, almost 1,500 years, we have an incident here where Satan is acting, and we have an incident right at the crucifixion of Christ, where Jesus is telling Simon Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. And here's what Jesus says, Simon, here was my response, I have pleaded in prayer with you, for you. Simon, I have pleaded in prayer for you that your faith should not fail. Now, I want you to pay attention to this next portion of Scripture. So when you have repented and turned to me again, Simon, strengthen your brothers. Wow. Do you hear the prophecy there? Judas repented, right? Simon's going to repent. And we know what this story is going to be about because Jesus is going to tell him here. Here's the prophecy. The prophecy goes like this. Well, before that, Peter says to him, see, here's Peter's plan. Jesus tells him what's going to happen, but here's Peter's plan. Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you, even to die with you. That, there's Peter's plan, right? Judas's plan was for Jesus to... Uh, reveal that he was Messiah in the way the Jewish people thought he would. Pilate's plan was he was going to release another prisoner. He was going to make somebody else do something. Those plans get wrecked. Peter's plan was, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you. I'm even willing to die with you. We're going to see that played out. But here's Jesus' prophecy. Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times. You're going to deny that you even know me. Peter's like, nope, can't happen. That's not my plan. That's not, what I'm going to, uh, that's not what I'm going to do. But the reality is that before the rooster crows three times, Peter is going to deny him. But isn't it beautiful that, that Jesus has already given him a prophecy so that when you have repented, because Peter's going to repent, you can strengthen your brothers. You see, there's, there's three ways, at least in Scripture today, that we can deal with plans that just get blown up. The first is, 
We can just check out. We can just check out. The second is, not my circus, not my monkey. The second is, this is your problem. I'm doing okay. The third is, we can repent. In terminology from military, from emergency response teams, we're taught very early in the military that the battle plans only last until the battle begins because nothing is going to go as you plan. I think you learn very early as an EMT or as a doctor, you can have the plans in place all you want to, but the minute you start the operation or the minute you're called onto to some distress call if you're an EMT, nothing's going to go like the textbook said it was going to. One of the things that you are taught then is you are taught to adapt, adjust, and overcome. That's what Judas failed to do. It's what Pilate failed to do. But it's what Peter learned to do. He adapted. He adjusted. And as Christ had prophesied, he overcame. I'm going to introduce something today that I'm really excited about. It's a segment that we're going to call Ground Zero. I'm going to give you a little introduction about it here. But I hope that as we add these to not just our online worship, but the worship that's going to come in uh, after we even get back together, we're going to enjoy Ground Zero. Ground Zero, the place where faith is formed and tested, where character is developed and challenged, where vision is focused and dreams are born. Join us as we step onto Ground Zero. Yeah, so my name is Zachary Welch. I am better known as Emily's brother. Um, I am a nurse at a downtown hospital uh, up here in Indianapolis. I work um, in the ICU. Uh, Normally, it's a neuro ICU. um, Takes care of strokes, uh, brain tumor resections, uh, injuries like that. Uh, But we've been repurposed uh, for as a COVID response unit. So, when did the repurpose happen? Was that recently, or or what time frame are we looking at here? Uh, It's been in the last week. As uh, the hospital's seen more and more cases, um, there needs to be. ICU beds available. And uh, with, like most hospitals in the United States right now, uh, we've cut elective surgeries, um, elective procedures, um, moved everyone who can be moved out of the hospital out of the hospital. Um, And we've got a large pool um, of beds available and staff available. Uh, So we became a unit that's qualified and ready to take COVID patients. So this is just something that this is you're preparing for the future, basically, I say future, but we're looking in the next couple of weeks is what you're preparing for. It's not right now, like you're a COVID unit, but you're not actively. We are currently taking care of COVID patients. Yes. Okay. I know this has all happened very quickly. Would you rewind just maybe uh, to the beginning when we first started hearing about this coming out of um, Europe and Asia, all of these things. Can you rewind a little bit and tell us about the beginning of all of it at the hospital and just give us a little snapshot of what it looked like there? 
Yeah. So, I mean, COVID-19 was like first discovered. I, I, I don't want to be wrong here, but I think it was November of 2019, which is why it's got the, uh, the name COVID-19 is discovered in the year 2019 uh, in Wuhan, China, um, as most people probably know now. Um, and as far as the hospital, I mean, that was business as normal in November and December, getting ready for the, the holiday rush that we normally have and going into the more winter season, severe weather, we get more of our, like your big car accidents um, with inclement conditions. So the normal um, ICU pace uh, as we fast forward faster into 2020, um, it became kind of just a topic of conversation at work. Oh, isn't that crazy? You know, sure. Uh, stuff like that. Nothing no formal plans, nothing really, no one taking it, at least on my level, uh, very seriously um, until we started seeing uh, the reports coming out of China, finally getting the real information coming from there, um, getting information out of Europe, um, especially Italy, um, just how quickly the virus spreads and have just looking numbers wise how many patients we were going to see if it came to the United States, which in the way the world's set up today, uh, it's almost impossible for a virus like this to not make it everywhere. Right. And I, I think that's a good talking point uh, as we've had some conversations. And of course, as, as I've talked to a lot of people in our community and other communities around the world via the internet, things like that, I think since the beginning, there are a lot more people that, that understand why this is such a scary um, uh, a scary situation right now, but I think there was a lot of misunderstanding at the beginning that, that this was scary because of the mortality rate. Can you speak to that a little bit and about why in your profession, um, uh, why this is actually so scary? Yeah. So um, from the research I've done and um, using sites like the cdc.gov, um, Johns Hopkins has great resources for all things COVID. Um, so that's primarily where my information comes from. It, it's looking like the virus itself isn't necessarily deadly. What comes into fact is it makes people really, really sick. And when you have that many people uh, requiring hospitalization, ventilators, um, life support uh, until your body's able to fight it off itself, that's when the mortality starts to climb. You'll see if you look at South Korea, they have a mortality rate um, around 0.9% because they did a really good job of testing the population, isolating, and then not overwhelming the hospitals. There's all kinds of campaigns talking about flattening the curve, um, which talks about exponential graphs, and you're looking at um, the number of cases coming into the hospital. And the whole point of social distancing and shutting down the state of Indiana and uh, putting all of us essentially in quarantine is to limit the number of cases coming in all at once. Um, because that's where you'll get into situations like you see in Italy, where you have um, a mortality rate around 10%, uh, wow. mainly because the hospitals are overwhelmed. They don't have the resources, staff, beds, ventilators uh, to help support people um, as their body gets really sick and fights the infection on uh, the uh, virus on its own. Sure, sure. That's great information. So um, regarding, I, I mentioned social media, but regarding that, can you can you tell me what kind of effect that has? Um, you deal with a lot of family members up, up and to a certain point, obviously, when the hospitals stop allowing visitors, right? But can you tell me maybe overall what the effect of social media disinformation and misinformation is on your job? And then maybe 
give a few words about that surrounding COVID-19 specifically? Yeah, so social media is a great tool and resource um, that's allowed us to be a lot more connected. That's why we're able to do this interview right now. Um, however, the downfall with it is everyone can put their, their thoughts and feelings on the internet. Um, and when it comes to uh, issues that affect the, the whole globe, there is a lot of disinformation out there. Um, I think the important thing is to not just press retweet, share, like on whatever you read. Um, you know, CDC, Johns Hopkins, Mayo Clinic, um, there's a wealth of great information out there. Um, and it's also important to remember with social media that when someone posts about their experience with COVID, that's one person's experience. That's not what is being seen everywhere. My experience that I'm seeing at the hospital is not the same thing being felt in New York or LA or Miami or Houston um, or Santa Claus, Indiana. Um, so I think the most important thing is don't take everything you see and read as gospel. Um, and if you really want to find out exactly what's happening, the best sites are always you know, the CDC has a phenomenal database tracking all things COVID. Excellent. Thank you. Um, so we're going to shift gears just a little bit. Um, and obviously, uh, we're a church. We're United Methodist Church. And and I know you're a Christian. And I wondered if you would tell us a few minutes uh, about your faith, about experience with God, and then uh, some follow-up questions with that surrounding COVID-19 also. Yeah, so I was very fortunate to be raised uh, in the church and always in a Christian background and um, really have those roots planted early for my faith, which I've always been appreciative of. Um, and my faith right now is something I'm very appreciative of uh, in terms of what we're seeing and dealing with um, every day at the hospital. Um, it is scary. Um, I'm sure all the news is coming across about the lack of protective equipment for healthcare workers um, and just how. Uh, Easily this virus is spread. There's all kinds of research that says um, the number one predictor for negative outcomes with uh, COVID right now is the amount of exposure. Um, and so anyone working in healthcare is going to be exposed a lot. Um, so it's, it's, you know, it's scary from that point. Um, but I mean, the best thing is as everything's going crazy in this world, we know that this world isn't our final home. Um, and that God has a plan, God's in control. Um, and I, the, the most important thing for me is, you know, I, I believe in the power of Jesus and that when I die on earth, eventually be it from whatever circumstances that I believe that I'll be in heaven. Um, and that's going to be a better place, which makes it a lot easier to walk into the rooms every day, um, and take care of something that could eventually kill me. Um, I don't think that's likely, um, but it's definitely a possibility. Um, so I, that's, that's what I've been relying on is just the strength of, you know, God has a plan. He's been very intentional about putting me where, um, I need to be to serve his will. Um, and so if that, that means, you know, working in this, um, environment, and if that leads to me getting really sick, then, then that was his plan all along. So what you're saying uh, basically is that even through, the devastation, the pain, and I know this is Indianapolis and places like Texas and New York are getting hit much harder uh, than we are right now. I know that the expectation is there that it's going to maybe get a little worse over the next couple of weeks, but even through the pain and the hurt and the devastation that you 
you see on a daily basis, you're able to remain uh, faithful to God? Yeah, uh, it's not unlike any of the other tragedies that have befallen Earth all the way since you know the fall of man. Um, our, the history of our race is one with tragedy built in. Um, you know, you can all through the formative years of my life, you know, you can look back to different periods of time and, and pick the tragedy that's kind of shaped that form of your life. You know, 9-11 is a great example for a lot of people my age, because those are some of our first formative memories. Um, you know, you're five, six, seven, eight, nine years old and something that magnitude happens, uh, it definitely shapes the way you view the world. And I feel like this is going to be one of those events that just shapes the way you view the world. Um, and through all of that time, God's been faithful. Um, so I see no reason why he's not going to be faithful now. Awesome. Um, so just in wrap up, my last question for you is uh, if you could give us one piece of advice for the next week, it seems like information changes day to day. Um, even our brightest and most intelligent and educated doctors seem to be learning through this entire process. And so part of the reason I think information has been so hard to garner is because this is just me, but they, they have disagreed at points and they've just been learning. But if you as a nurse, a uh, professional nurse, if you could give us one piece of advice over the next week, uh, what, would, what would that be? I mean, the, the thing that's going to be best for society and as individuals is to continue following the stay-at-home instructions. Um, stay home. Don't go out. Um, limit the amount of exposure you have when you have to go out to get groceries. Um, make sure that you're just staying distant from people. Don't be up on each other. Um, six feet is about the, the distance that the CDC recommends, uh, making sure that everyone stays out of that bubble. Um, if you feel sick, don't go out. Um, that's the most important thing. Um, if, if you feel sick, call your doctor, call your healthcare provider. Um, they're going to be the best ones to guide you, um, in terms of how to manage if this is just the flu, do you need to come in? Um, all of that. So that's, that's number one thing is just stay at home. Um, enjoy this time at home and just help stop contain the spread of the virus um, to help keep, help our hospitals the best we can. Okay. Well, thanks so much for your time, Zach. Yeah. I will be talking to you all to a screen this morning. It's a little bit different not seeing everybody's smiling, wide awake faces here in the seats, but we'll go ahead and jump right in. So I would like to thank Pastor Tim for allowing me to choose the message this week. He asked me what I felt on my heart, and I said unplanned, and that was the first thing that God brought to my mind, and as I was going throughout the week this week, he continued to show me that that was what was needed to be shared this morning. And so... In Pastor Tim's part of this sermon, he talked about different people who had plans, but they didn't necessarily end up going how they thought they would go. And I think it's important to highlight that when we're saying unplanned, we're saying unplanned for us. God has a plan that he's working 
to, for us to live out every day and is hoping that we will follow in his name and bring more glory to his name every day. And that is the plan he wants us to follow. But sometimes our plans need to be interrupted to do that. So things that are going on in my life right now is you guys just watched the video kind of highlighting the coronavirus and its effects that it's having on people. We're hearing a lot about the health professionals like Emily's brother and how they're rationing certain things. My mom went to the grocery store the other day and she said, it's ridiculous. What I usually pay $5 for toilet paper, they're asking $15. And she was just in all of that. And something else that the virus has impacted is my senior year. And as a young girl, you kind of idolize your senior prom, and you want to be in that beautiful dress with your friends, taking pictures in your heels, kind of like your Cinderella story. And never once did I think that maybe that Cinderella story wouldn't happen for my friends and I. And another thing that may not be guaranteed as walking across the stage to receive my diploma. And as students and as seniors specifically, you put in so much time and hard work and effort into your studies, and walking across that stage is a milestone in your life, kind of representing going from one part of your life to the next. And so that was really weird to think about. And um, Staying quarantined is also another thing I'm not very good at. I've been doing it, though, but it's been difficult because I'm a very social person, and I like to talk to people, and I like to be interactive. And so my friends and I, we've um, created a lot of group chats, and we've been on Zoom calls and all different kinds of things. And so that's been interesting with the virus. And because I've been quarantined with the virus, I've also had more time to spend on Netflix. And <laughs> the other day I was watching a movie, and it was called Freshman Year. And it was very fitting for the occasion. It was talking about this Christian boy that had the chance to either go to a private college or a public school. And he was on scholarship, so it, he could choose whichever. And he decided to go to the public school because he felt that was where he could make the most difference in Christ's name. And while he was at college, at the public school, he learned a lot at the institution that the church or what he had experienced in his community could have never taught him. He learned a lot of things, and he was, became aware of a lot of things that he wasn't used to. And that was completely unplanned and unexpected for him. But I loved how the movie portrayed how, as Christians, we should handle those things. And it was hard and difficult for him at times, and he questioned things, but never once did he lose sight or hope of what was important. Next, I would like to talk to you all about my dad. Many of you have seen him walking on the streets in the village or maybe at Lincoln with his cane and Pastor Tim actually talked to me about it earlier this morning. Uh, yeah, he's been burning a trail throughout the village. Um, that's how he kind of gets functioning. And as his daughter, to see and live with someone so physically strong, but to see them so physically weak at the same time is really hard to process. And I'm seeing a different side of my dad right now. And that side is not bad at all. It's just a different side. He's showing a lot of characteristics that I knew he had, but I had never seen him exude. 
and a lot of the strength he's showing is reminding me that even when things don't go as you think they would go, like, how can I be in this situation? I, I go to the gym, I do this out my body, I eat healthy. How am I sick? How is my body not able to function the way it normally does? Because some things just aren't planned. Next, I have, yesterday I was sitting at our island at our kitchen, and while I was at the bar, I was looking at my notebook, and earlier in the day I was looking at and filling out scholarships, and one of the criterias for the scholarship was briefly write an essay, 500 words or less, on your goals. And I kind of just looked at it, and I was like, I know what goals are, and I know I'm supposed to have them as a young person, but what am I supposed to do with those goals? I'll just list out all my goals. No, I was kind of out of blank, so I said, I'll just sit this down, I'll think about it, and I'll come back to it at a different day. But the craziest thing happened. While I was at, sitting at the bar, I was looking through a notebook, and a Post-it note fell out. And this Post-it note was probably from about 10 years ago. I was probably about 8 or 9 when I wrote it. And it had four simple goals on it. And it said, these are my goals for life. This was the title surrounded by flowers and stars. Praise God. Tell people about God. Follow in his footsteps. Make a difference. Those are the goals I wrote when I was eight or nine years old. And to think that I just stumbled upon it. I hadn't seen that since I wrote it. And that was something, after I found it, I had that taped on my desk after I wrote it. And when God put that on my heart, it reminded me to take a deep breath and remember what's important in life. There's a lot of craziness going on right now with the virus and everything. And it's important to remember that God has it all under control. So now what, did we, now what do we do? Pastor Tim gave examples of people in the Bible that had plans, but they didn't necessarily go as they had hoped or thought they would. God places change, events, situations, and even feelings in our lives that we didn't expect. And it's okay to be scared, confused, and ask God why, because we're not supposed to understand everything. So when things happen that we didn't expect, it's okay to be confused and ask but it's important to not stay in that place and to go into the Bible and be in prayer so that we can figure out those answers. Because God tells us when we ask, we shall receive. But if we're not asking and being patient with God and looking for an answer, then we're not going to find it. So first, I think it's important to step back from the situation and realize that you aren't in control. And so we have our first verse, and it's Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 through 8. And it's a verse many people have heard of, and it's a time for everything. And it says, There is a time for everything, and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, 
a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. And as we're looking at that and reading those words, I think a lot of those words and a lot of those a time to dot, dot, dot can apply to what we're experiencing right now. There's a lot of death going on and there's a lot of mending and there's a lot of peace we may or may not be experiencing. And that's also what I want to talk about. And so when all this craziness is going on, God knows the right time for everything. And so even when we don't know what's going on or know what's planned, we have to trust in that. So going on to trust, we go to our next verse, our next verses in James thirteen fifteen, or James four thirteen fifteen, and it says, "Sorry, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money." Why do you not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. We can plan all we want. And we can plan to go to this city or go to that city or go out and do this. But instead, we should ask God if that's what we need to be doing at that time. And so to wrap this up, I challenge you in this time to find peace. To step back from what we are living and experiencing and give God control and allow him to work and do his magic. And we have to trust in his plan and what is right. Even though we may not be able to see everything and even though we may feel like we're giving him the reins. It's hard to just give control, but that is what we have to do to truly find peace, to find the calm in the storm. So now we go to our last verse, and that's John fourteen twenty seven, And it reads, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. With everything circulating around, one thing remains constant throughout it all, and that's our Christ Lord Jesus. We will better be able to find the joy and good and purpose in this situation when our hearts aren't burdened by the worries and troubles of this earth. There's a lot of things circulating and a lot of things that we can let our heart get bogged down to if we don't stay in relation and in concentration with God and in his word and in prayer. And so I challenge you guys to find peace in the unknown and the unexpected, even though it may be uncomfortable, and to thrive and yearn for the unplanned, because that is when you know God is about to alter your life. If you guys would please bow your heads wherever you're at and center yourself and find peace, I'd like to pray us out. Dear Lord God, I thank you for allowing me to be in the situation you allowed me to be in this morning. It was different speaking to people virtually, but isn't it amazing that our church already had a system like this set up before the virus? 
It's amazing how you work, and we never would have thought when all of this started that this is where we'd end up. And so even though our plans might not align with your plans all the time, let us know and realize that your plans are sovereign. Your plans are higher, and your plans are right. You are a righteous God that will not leave us where we are. Help us to buckle down in times where we are unsure when we are just asking, God, why? How does this apply? Help us to remember that your plan is over, everyone. And so please be with us, God, and help us to go throughout the rest of our days and just praise you, God, and help us to remember that your plan is be with us all the time as will your love amen god or guys thank you for just tuning in today virtually and i hope that you enjoyed pastor tim's sermon and you enjoyed my sermon and you guys are staying safe amid all this craziness and the virus and so stay in your homes even though it's hard and we will see you back next week thank you and have a good day